All right. That's an amazing song. Thank you guys for sharing that with us this morning. You know, this morning is uh, really a time of celebration as we uh, recognize and honor our children and our young adults as they have completed a level of their ed- education. And so, so thankful you guys can be here to witness that and uh, to help us together to just recognize and honor them. Uh, I want to begin this morning by just uh, honoring our, our youngest in our church family and those of our, our kids who've graduated from kindergarten this year. We have any of our kindergarten graduates here this morning? Any? Hmm, my thoughts? No? Nope. Yeah, well, what, here you go. <laughs> yeah, bring dad with you. That's okay. I bet your dad feels honored also. We might have something for him to... No. Garen, thank you for being brave and coming up here. We are so, so excited for you. You've got something that you can maybe share. I, I know your brothers <laughs> and sisters would love that. Thank you, Garen. All right. I tell you, that's a big step, you know, uh, graduating from kindergarten. Uh, also, uh, you know, our, our uh, local school systems recognize our fifth grade graduates going from grammar school into elementary school. So do we have any of our fifth grade graduates here this morning? Anybody? I didn't say everybody with a fifth grade education, just our <laughs> fifth grade graduates. None of them are here today? Okay. We'll catch up with them later and, and uh, give them their gift. Also, uh, another level of graduation in our county is our eighth graders graduating from eighth grade going into high school. So we have any of our eighth graders here this morning that are graduating going into high school? No? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's okay. Uh, how about our high school graduates? I know we have one. I'm seeing two. I'm seeing so you guys, will you guys mind to come down? I know it's a long way for you, Emily, but hey. Ellie, I'm glad you didn't want to bring Gary with you. <laughs> appreciate that. I hear you. I think, Ellie, we're so proud of you and appreciate you so much. Your church family is going to stand behind you and pray for you as you go to college. I know it's a big step. And Emily, also, you as well. Thank you, ladies, so much. These are two precious ladies, and we're so, so proud. And thank you, guys. Thank you all. Thank you, Emily. Uh, our, our next category, of course, is college. We have, I know we have some graduating from college. I don't, I don't know if we have any here today. But if you are, then I hadn't saw you, then would you come now and let us recognize you? Okay, well, we'll hold on to their gift and get it to them later as well then. But... Remember to pray for our youth and children, our young adults, as they step into these new areas of their life training and, and um, for their hard work that they put in to get to where they are today. Uh, we, uh, you know, as a church family, we celebrate together uh, as someone accomplishes something in the body of Christ, and we want to celebrate that accomplishment. So I want to thank all of you guys, and thank you, church family, for uh, being there, uh, our, our kids and our youth, especially our, our young adults as they came, uh, it uh, just kind of sparked some memories of, of uh, their involvement in our church, and I'm so thankful for them. 
And uh, I really appreciate it. Let's give him another hand for you guys. Will. Thank you. All right. It's good to celebrate things, and so thank you. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, into Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, a message for you this morning I want to share with you is having peace through the Word of God. I, I want to firmly say and state to you this morning that apart from the Word of God, it's impossible to live at peace. If, if we're trying to navigate life and we neglect the Word of God, then we're just kidding ourselves if we think that we can enjoy any kind of measure of peace at all apart from the Word of God. As Paul writes this second chapter to the Thessalonians, they're struggling with an issue uh, and they're uncertain about it and so they're looking for that peace, and so Paul points them back to the Word. You know, we live in a world today where people are suffering from a lack of peace. You don't have to look very far at all to understand that very truth. Because of their failure to know and to follow the Word of God, we can trace that lack of peace too. Families are suffering because they refuse to love and to forgive and to be selfless toward each other. You know those are all biblical principles, by the way. And if our families aren't guided by those things, like love and sacrifice, putting each other's interests before their own, as Scripture says, then no family is going to live at peace. Those are basic biblical truths. If we neglect those basic biblical truths in our families then those families will never have peace. When you think about individuals, individuals who fail to heed the Word of God, they're, they're often confused and lonely. They seem to be trapped in life. And they carry around so much pain. And they don't know how to lay it down. Apart from knowing the Word of God, then there's no way to know, what do I do with that pain? How do I handle that struggle? How can I lay that burden down? Because of the pain and the struggle and lack of peace that individuals have, they give in to all kinds of desperate behavior. They give out under the pressures of life. And they give up on life in general sometimes. And they just decide to quit. Stop. And it really can be traced back to that, that lack of depending on the Lord and resting in His Word. You see, life overwhelms them. It's only natural. God says to the prophet Isaiah about His people, listen to what He says. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God promises that if we'll follow Him in His Word, that life 
will not overcome us. Maybe you feel today you're drowning in your relationships or in your life. They just seem to be, you seem to be sinking deeper and deeper and it's out of control. The answer for that is it's found in the Word of God. Paul's addressing a problem that the Thessalonians have here. The believers were being robbed of their peace because of their lack of understanding. And it was confusion. It was confusion about a prophecy that affected their peace. Now, when you and I think about prophecy, let me just encourage you. Prophecy is important in the Bible. Because, you see, prophetic scriptures have a way of helping us to have hope. When we look at what God says about our future, then we can look to that future with hope, right? If we're being overwhelmed or pulled down by life today, we can be lifted up by the promises of God of the future that we have in Jesus Christ. Hope. We need that today. Encouragement through the Word of God. In prophecy, we see a sovereign, powerful God working out His plan. It's the opposite of that that we live in today. It's confusion and chaos, isn't it? But when we look at God's plan in His Word, we see, we see sovereignty. We see God working in an incredibly powerful way to bring about what He's decided He wants to do. And that again, that gives hope as well. You see, it's, it's looking at life better. When we look through the Word of God, especially in prophetic scriptures, it's about joy. It's about our heavenly home. It's about our eternal life with Jesus Christ. All those things lift us up and, and help us through, through confusion and struggle. Follow along with me. Let me read chapter 2. And I want to cover the first 12 verses. It says, Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to Him, we ask not to be soon shaken in your mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means that that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition." who opposes and exalts itself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, the Bible tells us today that 
Uh, we can either live in confusion or we can live in the revelation of God, the understanding of the Word of God. Now, Paul begins this by, he, he looks at their situation and hears their heart, and, and he begins to speak about a, a natural confusion. That they had this issue that they were confused about, and they couldn't work through it. Uh, he says in verse 2, he says, not that you should soon be shaken in mind or troubled. They were worried about this. Uh, as, as well as maybe other things, but particularly this event. And so because of that worry, then Paul began to address it. Listen, there's no worry that you have in your life that the Word of God cannot reassure or cannot give you clarity about. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what area it's in, whether it's in your relationships or whether it's in your work life or the decisions you're about to make. The Word of God can help you with clarity. Whether it's choosing the right school to go to, the right career to follow, the Word of God will help you and the Spirit of God will show you those things that you need to know. And so in this natural confusion, uh, Paul came along beside them and, and listen, he did a couple of things. First of all, he commended uh, he commended them in persecution. In other words, if you look back at chapter 1, we covered that before. But Paul commended them about uh, their handling of persecution. Uh, he said to them, he said, I'm so pleased with you. I want to commend you that you've endured persecution uh, and that you have love for one another, patience, that you found faith in tribulation. Uh, and so Paul was commending them for following what the Word of God says when it comes to persecution. So they had at least that resolved in their mind. But understand that the church, since its beginning, has endured persecution. From the days of the church at Thessalonica through the days of the ages of the life of the church, we've always faced persecution. And so the Word of God gives us clarity about that very thing. And so Paul commends them. You're responding biblically. You're responding according to the Word of God when it comes to uh, this thing about persecution. And so uh, they were clear about that. But also, he went on and he talked about the fact that they were confused about the persecution in a sense that they were going through. In other words, the order of how things lined up. And so, uh, let me give you some things that Paul said. In other words, he begins to line up biblical uh, outline of God's plan for the future. One of those things, remember, if you go back in chapter 1, we saw that the first thing that Paul began to write to him about was in chapter 4. It was the rapture of the church, wasn't it? It was about that time when the Lord uh, would come in the air. Uh, he says, the Lord himself descends from heaven. The dead in Christ rise first. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together and meet the Lord uh, meet them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So Paul begins to, he says, listen, let me go back and clear this thing up for you. They, they were concerned about where they were or confused about where they were in, in God's order of what he was doing. And so Paul says, let me back up and let's start. He says, first of all, I wrote to you about the rapture of the church. He said, there'll be a time when the Lord comes in the air and he brings his church home to be with him. Second thing that Paul talked to him about was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he began to speak about a time of trouble or tribulation. And he said, but he gave them assurance in the sense that he said, but you won't be a part of that tribulation. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, he says, God did not appoint us to wrath. 
So he says, here's the rapture of the church. Then after that, it's going to be this time of trouble. Don't worry because you're not going to be a part of that time of trouble. And so then he goes on in, in chapter uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen to what he says. Uh, look, look there real quickly with me. He talks about, first of all, the rapture, now period of tribulation. But he also talks about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, in, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those... Um, excuse me, let, me, let me back up to, to verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us... The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. So that's his return, isn't it? So Paul says, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. Church is going to be caught up together to be with me. He says, then there's going to be a time of trouble. Then there's going to be a return by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he, he talks about, or the end of verse 8 and 9, he talks about judgment. He says at the end of verse 8, he says, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So now Paul says, after his return, there's going to be a judgment. He says that judgment is based or is going to be executed on those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the unbelieving world. So when Christ returns, everyone who's on the earth will be judged whether or not they believe in Him or whether or not they don't. And that judgment will be determined by their either accepting or rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 9, will be punished with everlasting destruction. And you know, when we're reading the Bible, that, that's really easy to kind of pass over. Everlasting destruction, Right? Well, what it means, it, it, everlasting destruction means always being destroyed but never annihilated. In other words, they'll be living in a state where they'll always be experiencing the devastation of being destroyed, but it'll never end. That's what the Bible calls hell. And so Paul says, here's how it goes. I'm coming for my church. There's going to be trouble on the earth. After that trouble, you find a description of that trouble, by the way, in Revelation 6, uh, chapter 6 through 19. It's, about a, it's a seven-year period. So he says, I'm coming after my church. There's going to be trouble on earth. I'm coming to the earth, uh, and then I'm going to judge. And so the confusion that the Thessalonians were having, because they were under persecution, they thought, we've missed the rapture. In other words, that coming for the church, we miss that because surely we're in that time of trouble. But Paul says, no, that's not the case. Because here's why. And then he goes on and he gives some needed clarification. He, he says, Paul tells them, he says, you can't be in the tribulation period because there's certain things that hadn't happened yet. And these certain things that have to happen or are going to happen uh, 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 before that period of trouble begins. Now, what does he say is going to happen? Well, he gives some things about that. He gives really two things. He, he, he tells us that there's going to be a falling away and the appearing of a certain man. Now, listen. The falling away, he says in verse three, chapter 2, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, 
For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Paul says, listen, here's, you didn't miss it. And you didn't miss it because here's why this has to happen, the falling away. What is the falling away? Well, the falling away is, is apostasy. It's, it's, it's falling away from the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the, it's the uprising of an apostate church. Not, a tr- not the true church, but a new church. And this new church that Paul describes isn't the true church. It's anything but that. You see, the head of the true church is the Lord Jesus Christ. The head of this new church is going to be the false prophet. They're going to be completely different from each other because the true church is going to be caught up together to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Bible gives a lot of description about this new church. Uh, He he says, uh, I'm going to give you some scripture that's too much. And if you're interested, you can write it down and look it up later. Uh, But let me just share some things with you about this new church. First of all, it'll it'll believe and teach a false doctrine. Uh, Paul talks, writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And he talks about that false doctrine. He calls it doctrines of demons. As a matter of fact, uh, here's what he says. He says, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, that's the falling away, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So this is going to be a false doctrine that this new church is going to teach. It's going to be one that denies the Word of God. It's going to be, deny the authority of the Bible. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that, that very spirit's at work today, isn't it? A uh, denying of the Word of God, a denying of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why so many people have so little peace because they bought into that idea that I really don't need to hear from God or I really don't need to uh, follow His, His Word. And so... Uh, we, we see that even in the world that we live in today. So it, it's a church that denies the, the, the Bible's authority. It's also a church that's going to deny the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That denies what he did for us is effective for forgiving our sins. Doctrines of demons. Another characteristic about this new church is that it, it'll, it, it will contradict the very nature of the true church. Uh, Paul says again in 1 Timothy 4 verses 3 through 5. He talks about that very thing. The contradictory nature uh, of this fall church. He it says speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. It's a characteristic of the church. Not being convicted about sin. Not seeing sin for what it is. Another one is that it will emphasize the works instead of grace in order to be right with God. We see that in the world today, don't we? Some religious groups say that, well, hey, the only way to God is through good deeds or good works. Or at best, yeah, we come to Jesus by grace, but you, you hang on to that salvation by your good works. Well, that'll be the teaching of the new church. Not the true church. Another characteristic of this falling away of this new church is that it will look like a church, but it will have no power. No power. Paul writes to Timothy again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says, this church will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 
Oh, it may be organized like a good old Baptist church, but it'll be lifeless and have no power. Another one is that it, it, it will turn away from right teaching. Uh, Paul mentions that again to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, he says this. Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 4, he says uh, <coughs> uh, that um, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned into fables. You see, it's a, it's a, a church that will substitute anything for the truth of God's Word. And then finally, it'll follow its own desires and teach what people want to hear. He, he says also, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You see, in these new churches, the pulpit committees will go out and they'll find pastors who will tell them what they want to hear. Where the true church tells them what they need to hear. And all these things. And so, Paul says to these Thessalonians, don't worry, you had not reached that yet. <laughs> it's coming, but you had not made it there yet. We're closer than they are, by the way. To that very thing. And so he says the falling away has to occur first. And then he goes on and he says, the next thing is a man will be revealed. A, a man revealed. And, and this man is the Antichrist. You see, the world today is being conditioned for the coming of the Antichrist. Everywhere we look, we're in world economic chaos today. It's a preparation for the coming of Antichrist. We're living through world political chaos today. There's not a, a nation on this face of this earth that's stable anymore because everything is so chaotic. It's a preparation. We're living through world religious chaos in the world today. And there's conflict in the Middle East and there's no peace on the globe. And it's all conditioning this world for the coming of the Antichrist. He's coming. The Bible says He's coming. God says He's coming. And we need to be ready. You see, Scripture, Paul gives his identity because his identity reflects his goal. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Let no one deceive you uh, by any means, for that day will will not come until the falling away has come and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. How does Paul describe him? The man of sin. That word sin means lawlessness. He, he, he has no rules. There's no boundaries. There's no limitations to him taking the world away from God in, a, in another direction. We're living in... We, we think 150 years ago the West was lawless. We've not seen lawlessness yet like we'll see it. It's coming. It's coming. Once this man rises up, it'll be he, he'll, he, he's known as the lawless one. He goes on and he talks about uh, not, not only that, but the son of perdition. That word means doom or destruction. He lives. He's destined for destruction. And, and, and he embraces destruction 
And he wants to lead everyone that he can down his road of destruction. You know the old saying, misery loves company. Well, he loves that kind of company to walk down that road of destruction. He'll take you with him if you'll, if you'll let him. Uh, he's son of perdition. His agenda, Paul kind of spells it out in, in, in verse 4. Listen to what he says. He, he says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Well, what is it? He opposes God. Everything that he will do when he comes on the scene will be an act of opposition to God. He's the antithesis of who God is. The total opposite of what God wants for you and what's best for you. And yet that same spirit of lawlessness is working today in the world. He's not come, I don't think. But uh, His Spirit is, on, is, is here. He expects to be worshipped like God. Verse 4, again. He says that, that, uh, uh, <coughs> that He exalts Himself above all that is called God or, or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. In other words, there, there's coming a day sometime in the future when this Antichrist comes on the scene. Uh, he takes his, assumes his power over the world. Uh, he rebuilds the temple. Uh, and then he walks into the temple one day and he sits down in the temple and he says, I'm God, worship me. Worship me. And so, his agenda is to oppose God. He expects the worship. But yet, right now, in this day that you and I are in, there's only one thing that opposes him or restrains him. In verses 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit of God. Keeps him in check. Keeps that in check until when? Until it's his time. And God steps aside and lets him have his way for a while. For a while. And so, <clears throat> he's, um, he's, uh, working, he's going to work out his agenda. Verses 8 and 9 talks about his appearing. <clears throat> How's he going to come on the scene? How's he going to be so convincing? How is he going to be able to take over the whole world? Well, listen to what he says in, in, in verse 8. First of all, verse 8 is temporary, by the way. That's the good news. It says, and, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and then destroy him with, with the brightness of his coming. So he's temporary, uh, only temporarily in charge. Uh, and, and so uh, his day will come as well. But what happens? How does he reveal himself? The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So it's by, by the working of Satan. Now listen, we, we have to realize that Satan is, he has influence in this world today. The Bible says he's a prince of the power of the air. That, that he has certain authority. That he influences our culture today. That our present culture today is really influenced by his working. And, and because of that, we have to be so careful and the Antichrist that's coming that will be revealed is, is Satan's puppet. He'll do the work that he wants him to do. And so he'll have great influence when he steps on the scene. 
Now, there's been suggestions of all kinds of scenarios how, how this Antichrist will gain so much power so quickly. How, how he'll be so impressive and so overcoming so quickly. And there might have been a time in our history where we saw that'll never happen. Let me tell you how rapid have things happened in this last year. It'll happen quickly. How will he be so convincing? And the other way is that uh, Paul says by, by power, signs, and lying wonders. Incredible things he'll be able to do. Impossible things uh, he'll seemingly to us he'll be able to do. Through those signs, powers, lying wonders, he'll ascend to being the head over this world. By his appearing. Paul goes back and he says, guys, this hadn't happened yet. Right? That's where we're getting at. Is the Thessalonians were so concerned that they'd missed the rapture. Paul says, no, wait a minute. These things have to happen, but they hadn't happened yet. You see, we can be assured today we hadn't missed the rapture. Because these things hadn't happened yet. And then finally, one of the reasons that Paul wants to clarify these things to them is because there's some necessary concern that he points out. I'll tell you, as Christians, we need to be burdened today because these things are coming. Just as sure as God created the heavens and the earth, as Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for us, these things are going to happen. And we need to be burdened and concerned about it. Uh, Verse 10 talks about rejecting the truth. You see, you, you and I as believers ought to be burdened about people that are rejecting the truth. He says, and, and with all unrighteousness, deception, among those who perish because they did not receive the truth, they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. What's happening? They're perishing because they've rejected the truth. We need to be sharing the truth of Jesus Christ in this world today. Give people an opportunity to know Him and to believe in Him. We have to be burdened about that because things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. Say, Brother Mike, you're not very encouraging. I hope the truth will encourage us. And and so we ought to be burdened about people that are rejecting the truth. Believe in the lie, verse 11. And and for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie. What is the world doing today? They're believing the lie. The lie. How do you... Stop believing a lie. You, you're confronted with the truth. Right? You know, have you ever been in a situation in your life where you, you really got the wool pulled over your eyes? That you really thought something was a certain way and you believed it to the very core of your body. And all of a sudden somebody told you the truth. And that truth made sense. And then it all began to fit together. And you turned from that, Right? That's what the Bible's talking about. If people who are believing a lie are never faced with the truth, they'll never have a choice or a decision to make. And then he goes on and says in verse 13, because of that, there'll be ultimate condemnation. If people don't turn to the truth of God's word, then there'll be destruction. That they may all that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. You see, there it is, isn't it? Ultimate condemnation. Rejecting 
the truth of God. How are we going to have peace today? It's by following the Word of God, isn't it? It doesn't matter what the situation is. You say, well, Brother Mike, uh, they were worried about prophecy. They were worried about what's happening tomorrow. I want to know how to handle what's happening today. Well, let me tell you, you handle today's problems just like you do tomorrow's problems in the truth of the Word of God. Those struggles that you might be facing, that, that, that particular place in life you may be or someone you might know that's just being drowned in pain, confusion, and hurt can be overcome by just knowing and following God in His Word. You see, the Bible will lead us out of, out of sorrow to a place where we can celebrate. Bow with me if you would, and let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today that we see the power of your word to give us clarity in our, our times of confusion. Now, Lord, you can lead us out through truth into those things that can cause us to be joyous and celebrate. Father, it's your truth that sets us free. Now, Lord, I pray this morning that you'll help us to realize, as, as we saw that, that this early church was so worried that they'd missed something so important, that they were burdened, heavy-hearted, but yet when they saw the truth of the matter, they understood. Father, there may be some here this morning that are heavy-hearted, that are confused, uh, that are just hurting. Lead them out of that place and lead them out of their struggle and their pain by your truth. And we'll thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning.